All right, that is all I have by way of announcements. If you have your Bibles or your devices, please turn in them to Genesis chapter 17 with me this morning. Genesis chapter 17. This week, we are looking once again at how fully, how, how completely God can be trusted and how he deserves our full allegiance in every area of our lives. Full allegiance to him as God and full allegiance and identity even with his people. And so let's begin this morning by reading Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham 
Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word to our hearts and to our souls together this morning. Folks, as we begin this morning, I want to share a name of a particularly famous and notorious person in our day. Uh, I'm going to share his name in just a moment, but as I do, I'm aware that some of you may want to immediately stand on the rooftop and sing his praises, and then it might make others of you sick to your stomach. Whatever you are, whichever you are, please guard your heart in this moment. I don't want to fight any fights to break out here today. 90% of you think I'm going to say the name Donald Trump. But I'm not. That would be crazy. I'm not, I'm not lacking that much discernment this morning. I don't want to be that distracting. Donald Trump's not the name that I want to share with you. The name I do want to share with you is only slightly less contentious. Here it is. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, right, is loved and respected by many and yet hated and despised by so many others. But Tom Brady, without question, is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's just played in his 10th Super Bowl and won his 7th Super Bowl title. That's insane. He has more Super Bowl titles than any other franchise has as an entire team. That level of excellence has never been seen before in the NFL. And Brady's latest victory is particularly impressive because he won this Super Bowl with a different franchise than the other nine Super Bowl appearances. You likely know that Tom Brady played 20 seasons for the New England Patriots, but then he signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers offered Tom Brady $50 million for a two-year contract. They knew that they wanted to have Tom Brady on their team, and so they promised him an extraordinary salary in order to make him one of their own. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like if on the night of the Buccaneers Super Bowl, Tom Brady came running out onto the field still wearing a New England Patriots jersey. Can you imagine that? That, that would make zero sense. The, the Bucs created an incredibly generous contract in order to make Tom Brady one of their own. And so for him to break that contract by continuing to play as a New England Patriot would be to say that he didn't understand the contract in the first place. The Buccaneers were so generous, not because they wanted him to play for whoever he felt like playing for, but because they wanted him to play for them. What, what Jersey he wore, what uniform Tom Brady wore, spoke of where his allegiance was found, right? And when Tom Brady won a Super Bowl for the Bucks, it shows his understanding of the contract had, that had been given. It shows where his identity was found. His identity is no longer as a New England Patriot. No, he is now a Buccaneer. Church, Genesis chapter 17 is yet another reminder to us of the extraordinary contract 
the incredibly generous covenant that God has made with Abram and with Abram's descendants. $50 million does not even begin to compare to the covenant that God had inaugurated with Abram. It's an amazingly generous covenant. But, but we also see here now how God calls Abram to respond. What we see here is that who Abram identifies with from this point forward is very important. God calls Abram to identify with him in an unmistakable and even very costly way to himself. Abram is is supposed to, to go all in with God. He's supposed to demonstrate his commitment to God and to the covenant that God had made through an act, through a sign, through the sign of circumcision. God says to Abram, now that we have a contract, now that we have a covenant between us, here's here's the jersey, here's the uniform, here's the sign that I want you to wear for me. This, This sign proves that you understand and are a part of the covenant that I have made for you. And though very, very costly to Abram, it's a beautiful picture of God's heart for our good and for our joy. Folks, here's here's the main idea of our message this morning. Those who know the love of God should find their greatest identity in God and his people. Those who know the love of God should find their greatest identity in God and in his people. We have five points to look at this morning. Number one, the purpose of God. Number two, the sign of circumcision. Number three, the warning of disobedience. Number four, the son of Sarah. And number five, the obedience of Abraham. Those are our five points. Let's go ahead and begin with point number one, the purpose of God. In verse one, it it states that Abram is now 99 years old, which means that 13 years has gone by since the events of chapter 16 with Sarah and Hagar that we looked at last week. And so Sarah and Abram's faith has been tested in a significant and ongoing way. It's been a long time. But now the Lord comes to him again and he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God is saying that he, he wants to make a covenant between, with Abram. But, but you and I might say, wait a minute. He, he wants to make a covenant. Ha- hasn't God already made a covenant with Abram? Isn't that what chapter 15 was about? When, when God had Abram take those animals and cut them in half and lay them over against each other. And then, then he put Abram to sleep, do you remember? And he alone as God walked through those halves as a symbol that he alone was carrying the responsibility for the covenant. If, if all of that happened back in chapter 15, then why does verse 2 say that God still wants to make a covenant with Abram? Well, the answer to this can be found in the rest of the chapter. The the covenant has already been inaugurated, but now God wants to seal the covenant with Abram. He wants to give Abram a sign to hold as as a demonstration of his understanding of the contract and his solidarity with the covenant. The the ultimate responsibility for the covenant still lies on God, as we saw in chapter 15, but God is looking to to seal the covenant with Abram in order to confirm, in order to ratify Abram's willingness to participate in it. 
we can see that this is the purpose of this chapter, chapter 17, in that we see the word establish repeated in this chapter. Verse, verses 7, 19, and 21. That word establish, that, that's not found back in chapter 15. When, when God inaugurated the covenant in chapter 15, the, the word he used was to make a covenant between them. So, so the covenant was made back in chapter 15, but established or sealed or confirmed, or ratified here in chapter 17. But folks, what we need to notice is that even as God seeks to establish and seal this covenant with Abraham, as God invites Abraham to participate in the covenant in this way, he only does so after once again clearly laying out who he is as God and what he is going to do in and through Abram. He both, he both reiterates and expands his promises to Abram. Look at what it says in verses 4 to 6. God, God reiterates his promise to make Abram into a nation. But yet he, he expands that promise even farther. Rather than just making him into a nation, God goes farther and says that he will make Abram into a multitude of nations. And he then he then changes his name from Abram, which simply means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Verse 6, God says that he will make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. That, that word fruitful ties us right back to Genesis chapter 2 when God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to be fruitful and to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so what this means is that God himself is now taking responsibility for this commission. He is promising that he is going to, through Abraham, multiply his people and make them into the covenant community that he had intended them to be way back at the beginning. And then finally, finally, notice how God speaks of himself in verse 1. He starts this speech to Abraham by saying, I am God Almighty. God Almighty. El Shaddai is the name there for God. That's the first time this name El Shaddai has been used for God in the scriptures. El Shaddai means God Almighty, God of all power, God of all ability. Listen to this definition of El Shaddai from one commentator. He says, El Shaddai is the God who so constrains nature that it does his will. Isn't that beautiful? Nature itself bows itself to the will of God Almighty. This commentator goes on and says that this name, El Shaddai, is almost always used in Scripture when speaking of God as the God who has the power to give offspring, to give children to his people, which in the context that we're in right now seems like almost an impossibility. And so church... Do you see what God is doing for Abraham in this moment? He, he doesn't call Abraham to just act in obedience without giving Abraham extraordinary reasons to want to obey. He doesn't just call Abraham to, to live for him without reiterating and even expanding his amazing promises to him and, and without stating in explicit terms, I am the God who is able to do all of this for you. I will accomplish these things in your lives. Church, be encouraged this morning by remembering yet again that he is able to do his will in your life. And so if you are in a season of, of unwanted delay, 
If your hopes and dreams have been delayed, if, if they've been prolonged in your life, if God seems to have failed in fulfilling his promises to you, do not forget that God is the one who is able to do these things. Church, let's tie ourselves to El Shaddai this morning. Let's tie ourselves by faith to God Almighty. All of nature submits to him. And while he may not always fulfill our hopes and dreams in exactly the way that we hope that he will, we can know this morning that he can be trusted in it all. He's reliable. His plan is good. Church, that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the sign of circumcision. Now, if we paid attention in our, in our reading of this text earlier, we would have been able to discern right away that something's different about this chapter than, than either the promises of chapter 12 or the covenant of chapter 15. Because right away in verse 1, God says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. We, we see in that that God is about to address Abram in a far more direct way than he has before. And then we see that happen down in verse 9. And so after reiterating and expanding his, his covenant promises to Abraham in verses 1 to 8, God then begins to speak to Abram in a different way. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. God is giving to Abraham and to his descendants a way to affirm and to ratify and to confirm their participation in the covenant. In the same way that Tom Brady needed to play for the right team in order to demonstrate his understanding of the $50 million contract, so God is inviting Abraham to have a sign of his participation as well. You can see that word sign in, in verse 11. That's a significant word. This, this act of circumcision was a sign, an outward demonstration of Abram's faith and allegiance to God. Listen to what Gordon Wenham says when he talks about this. He says, the chief concern of this chapter is to confirm or ratify the covenant. Just as the covenant with Noah was confirmed in Genesis chapter 9. Whereas inaugurating the covenant was entirely the result of divine initiative, that's what we saw in chapter 15, confirming it involves a human response, which is summed up in verse 1 by the words, walk in my presence and be blameless, and is spelled out in the demand to circumcise every male. This is what God is inviting Abraham to do, to confirm, to, to ratify the covenant. Now, we have to ask the question, what is circumcision? And, and every guy in the room begins to squirm in his seat a little bit. Circumcision is not a fun idea to discuss. As you likely know, circumcision is the cutting off of the foreskin. When, when a man is circumcised, part of his private parts is removed, and it is very painful. We learn later on in Genesis that it can make you sick for days on end. It's, it's very painful. It's very uncomfortable particularly when you think about the primitive tools that they used in that day. Shivers just go through our bodies. So that's what circumcision is, but, but what is circumcision for? Well, there are many different ways to understand circumcision in Scripture. Some scholars think that God gave this sign to Abraham as a reminder to himself, 
as a reminder to God himself that he was covenanted to these people in order to make them great. In the same way as with Noah in chapter 9, God put the sign of the covenant up in the sky. That's the last point in Genesis that we see this word sign. Some people think that circumcision is the, the same thing. It's God's way of reminding himself that he is covenanted to make his people fruitful in this world. I definitely think that that's part of what circumcision is. Other people say that circumcision is primarily for us, meaning that as man looked at himself, particularly during the sexual act, he was to remember that he was part of God's covenant people and his offspring that would come were part of that covenant as well. You know, some, some people might wonder why there's no sign of circumcision for, for women. Why, why just the men? But within the, the marriage covenant, the one fleshness of marriage, the man, the man's circumcision would have been both seen and known by the woman as well. It would be a sign that they together, along with the family that would come, would have been a part of the covenanted people of God. They belong to Yahweh. Along with this, the fact that offspring was seen to come through the seed of the man. The, the offspring that would have been come through the seed of the man would have come through the covenant promise. And so whether male or female, whichever the child, each is a part of the covenant. You know, still others would say that circumcision was a spiritual statement to the culture all around them. That, that circumcision is a, a reinterpretation of a, of a cultural norm in that day. And, and this is a very helpful point to make because it needs to be noted that circumcision was not only practiced by Abraham and his descendants. It wasn't only practiced by, by Israel. It's very clear in history that many other cultures in that day practiced circumcision in some form. Particularly, Egypt practiced circumcision in some form. But then, why? why? Why would God give Abraham a sign that is also a sign for other cultures? Well, Egypt likely only practiced circumcision in very specific ways for, for grown men or for men who reach adolescence and, and for those who were specifically called to be priests in the Egyptian temples, likely as a purification rite. Circumcision very likely in Egypt was required only for those who wanted to serve as priests in order to serve their many gods and their many deities in Egypt. And so it seems that part of the reason that God chose circumcision for his own people was to make a loud statement about how in contrast to other cultures, in contrast to Egypt, all of Yahweh's people had a relationship with him. How through faith, all of God's people have access to him. And how through faith, we all are purified by him. How we are all, as Peter says in the New Testament, a kingdom of priests. We all have access to Yahweh, all of God's people whether young or old, whether priest or layperson, whether male or female, we all have access to God. It's not just certain people. It's not just the priests. It's not just the pastors. It's everyone. It seems that all of these interpretations are part of the meaning behind circumcision. And so what God seems to be saying here is, I am covenanting myself to you, and I don't want to forget this covenant because of this sign, and you are going to see it as well, and you are going to be reminded that you are becoming a community. You are becoming a kingdom of priests, and that you all have personal access and relationship to me. In other nations, only a select few have the privileged positions with their gods. But God says, not here, not with my people. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Friends, circumcision 
is not just an act of simple obedience. No, it is a statement of identity. Identity with God and identity with his covenanted people. It speaks of solidarity with God and with his people. It speaks of being in relationship to God and with his people. Those who are part of the covenant community of God are united to God himself. And those who are not are cut off from God himself. And that brings us to our third point this morning, point number three, the warning of disobedience. Very briefly this morning, notice with me verse 14. It it stands out in this text. It says this, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Verse 14 speaks of judgment. The act of of cutting off a piece of the foreskin is is a physical and metaphorical picture of what God says will happen to those who are not a part of God's covenant community. So similar to the picture in Genesis 15 with the bloody animals being cut in half, those who break the covenant here will be cut off. They will perish. And so it leaves us, church, wondering whether we can or whether we will keep this covenant. Or will there be those of us who are cut off? Verse 14 is is sobering. It's it's, it's humbling to read. And you know, if being a part of God's covenant community was as simple as being circumcised, well, then it would be easy to guarantee that you were in. It would have been uncomfortable, but circumcision would have been an easy step in the big picture to take in order to be part of this covenant community. But what becomes very clear as we continue to read Scripture is that for God, The practice of circumcision is so much more than just a physical act. It is a spiritual act. God is not just after a physical ritual for his people. No, he wants the hearts of his people to trust him fully. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 9 says. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. God is saying this sign of circumcision is is far more than just a procedure that can be done on your body. No, it's a sign of what should be done in your heart. God is after our hearts. He's after full allegiance and devotion. He's after devotion and love and obedience before him. He wants sin and rebellion to be cut out and for our lives to be healthy and fruitful in our relationship with him. And folks, when you begin to see that this is what circumcision is all about, you begin to realize, well, our ability to to fully obey and to fulfill this part of the covenant, our ability to be a part of the covenant community, that's a little bit more difficult than just a simple procedure. It's not just about that, that procedure being done. It's about obedience and devotion and love. And none of us can say that we have done that. None of us have fulfilled this covenant perfectly. And so all of us fall into the category of verse 14. We all will be cut off because of our sinful hearts. But what we also see here is that God is still committed to accomplish these things for us despite our unavoidable failure to keep the covenant as perfectly as we should. And that brings us to our fourth point this morning. Point number four The son of Sarah. I love how 
this chapter is structured. Scholars talk about it extensively. The structure is just, it's very simple, it's very clear, but it's also very helpful. Verses 1 to 8 are God speaking about what he will do. Verses 9 to 11 are God speaking about what Abram should do. And if it had ended there, there might have been temp- we might be tempted to think that all of the responsibility for this ratification of the covenant is on us and that we need to rely on our own strength. But that's not where it ends. Verses 15 to 21 mirror verses 1 to 8 in that God goes into even greater detail on how he will accomplish his purposes in Abraham's life. And then verses 22 to 27 mirror 9 to 14 in that they show Abraham taking action in response. He obeys God's word. Two halves of this covenant mirror each other almost perfectly. And the effect of this is that it builds our confidence, not in ourselves, but in the sign, or not in the sign of circumcision either, but in God himself. Immediately after the warning about being cut off, God continues to speak to Abram, and he says, as for Sarai, your wife, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from you. And through those words, God is is launching his plan of redemption through Abraham in an even greater way. The the wait is almost over. Within a year's time, Abraham and Sarah will have a son. These words are meant to cause us to to look forward. God God is beginning to act. That the family of Abraham is about to grow. And that's exactly what we're going to see as we continue our study in Genesis. Isaac is about to be born. Isaac will have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob will have 12 sons, and then the nation of Israel just grows from there. God multiplies his people. He causes them to be fruitful. And as it grows, we as Christians on this side of the cross are supposed to look even farther forward to a day when a descendant of Abram, a son of Sarah, not Isaac, but Jesus would come, who would be the long-awaited king. Kings will come from Sarah, King Jesus comes from Sarah. And he would ultimately fulfill all of these promises that God made to Abraham as he gave himself for us, as he hung on the cross, cut off from the covenant, cut off from God. God's people, sentenced under the wrath of God, as verse 14 said, but he did it for us. This is pointing to Jesus. Listen to what Sidney, great, great, I can't say his name, Greatness says. He says, this narrative contains many covenant promises which are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations was fulfilled in Christ when he sent his disciples to make disciples of all nations. Kings shall come from you was ultimately fulfilled with the arrival of Abram's son, Jesus, the king of kings. I will give you all the land of Canaan will be fulfilled in Jesus on a far grander scale when God's people will inherit the new earth. I will be their God was fulfilled in Jesus who with his sacrifice reconciled God and his people. These words of God to Abraham here are meant to make us look forward, church, God is going to accomplish great things. His will and his purposes in our lives will come about through his son, Jesus. Our our redemption will be accomplished. In fact, this is the reason why God says in verse 12 that circumcision is supposed to happen to a child on the eighth day. Do you ever wonder why, why eight days? What significance does the eighth day have? 
Well, if you remember the days of creation and how God created this this world in, in six days and then he rested on the seventh day, there was no eighth day. The eighth day is, is not spoken of, and so now an eighth day is spoken of as a sign of what God is, is still doing. The new work of creation is beginning to happen through this seed. The work of redemption will come about. Circumcision was to be done on the eighth day as a sign that God was going to bring about full redemption into this world through the covenant that he had made with Abram and his descendants, ultimately through Christ. This is Jesus Friends, all of us have been cut off. All of us have been left hopeless in our sin. But God was at work to redeem us even in this moment. He promised a son to Abraham and Sarah, and through that son, kings would come. Through Isaac, the greatest son would come, King Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Friends, that brings us to our fifth and to our final point this morning. Point number five, the obedience of Abraham. Now, verse 7 shows that Abraham's faith and Abraham's obedience is still not perfect. We've spoken of it as fragile during our series. It it says that Abram, in in verse 17, fell on his face and laughed. What, What God was saying to him was almost too good to be true. It seemed comical to him. And then, Verses 20 to 21, we see God speak about Ishmael, which is yet another reminder to us of of Abraham's imperfect faith, which was demonstrated last week in chapter 16. Yet, yet, verses 22 to 27 reveal that Abraham was not marked only by weak and fragile faith. No, he, by God's grace, also had moments of extraordinarily strong faith. Look, Look at what it says in verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Again, verse 26, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. He he obeyed. He he believed in God's word. He acted in obedience. He he accepted the covenant sign. He identified with the contract that had been made. God's promises became his identity. Church, what a beautiful picture of what faith in God should look like for us. Faith in God should lead to action for God. Faith in God should lead to obedience before God, even radical obedience before God. Think about how painful and costly this would have been. You know, if I was Abraham and I was 99 years old and God came to me and and laid this out for me, I'd say, I'm good. You can take me now. I'm 99. I've lived a good life. Let's let's just move on. Think about what kind of faith and humility this would have required, particularly when, when there was no clear evidence that Abraham was actually going to be given a son. Years had gone by. He had every reason in the world to doubt God's word, except for the name God Almighty and God communicating yet again that he could be trusted. And for Abram, in this moment, God's word was enough. And so he believed. And his belief, his faith, led to action. Friends, so too for us today. 
so too for us today. When we believe God's word to be true, we are to allow it to lead us towards action, towards obedience. There are many ways to apply this text in our lives today, but this is one of the greatest ways. We should learn from Abraham's example of being willing to cut things off for the sake of Christ. Sometimes obedience is hard, church. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it sears our hearts. But James reminds us in James chapter 2 that Abram is an example of what real saving faith is. To have true saving faith in Christ is to have faith that obeys, to have faith that acts, to have faith that moves in God's direction. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful and uncomfortable, but it is always worth it because it demonstrates our faith in God and his word, that he is our only salvation. So friend, what area of life do you need to cut off in order to obey God in greater ways in your life this coming week? In what ways do you need to identify less with the world and more with Christ? How might he be calling you today to cut certain things off for his sake? But listen, even more than just that broad category of obedience and sanctification, we we should learn from Abraham's example of being willing to just fully identify with God and with his people. Circumcision became the way through which Abraham and his descendants and the nation of Israel joined the covenant community of God. And even foreigners could join this covenant community of God if they walked through the process of circumcision. And so we see the purpose in this text. God is wanting to create a community of people, a community who are distinct from the world around them. He wants them to be that kingdom of priests, a community of people, young and old, male and female, who all identify with him and who he joyfully identifies himself with. If you look up in verse 8, verse 8 is the first time that God explicitly states that he's going to give the land of Canaan to Abraham. Folks, the, the land of Canaan was actually not that impressive. It's a small, unimpressive piece of land compared to the nation surrounding it. But do you know what the land of Canaan had? It had geographical value. It was at the center of that area. It was between many of the the major nations. And so many nations and many kings would need to travel through Canaan in order to get to their destination. And so, so it seems like God is saying, I am making you into my people and I will be your God and nations will come through you and they will see that there is something different about who you are. They will see that I have a personal relationship with you and you have a personal relationship with me. And so church, This applies to us today. God is calling us to be a people together, an identifiable group of people who have relationship with him and who are known in this world to be different from those around us by how we live for him. We're called to be distinct, to be different. We're called to be distinct and different together. We know that in the New Testament, the Old Testament practice of circumcision is replaced with the practice of baptism. God no longer orients towards one physical nation or people, but now he expands his gospel to all nations, 
to all of humanity, and he makes it available to all at any time. And and the way to identify with him is no longer through the cutting off of flesh, but through the circumcision of the heart, through humble faith and repentance before Christ. And when that happens, we are to go public with our faith, to take up the new covenant sign, which is baptism. Baptism replaces circumcision. Baptism is the sign, the uniform of the new covenant. It's through baptism that we no longer identify with the world. It's through baptism, no longer children, but for those who have a mature profession of faith, we make a statement that we belong to him and we belong to his people. Baptism welcomes people into membership. Which is why last week we had the joy of baptizing Andrew Johnson. And in that baptism, even as a a 15-year-old guy, he is now a member of our church. He's a part of our covenant community. And so church, one of the primary applications of this text is to value the covenant people of God. To value the New Testament church. To say that this group of people here this morning and those visiting online, this is our home that we are a kingdom of priests together, that we're called to be on mission together, that God is working through us for his glory so that in the same way as when kings and nations went through Canaan and saw that there was something different about those people, so we are to be different so that when people come in among us, they say, those people, that that Redeemer Fellowship, they're, they're different. They seem to all have a fruitful relationship with God. God's among them. God's in that place. And so what a reminder to value the covenant community. We're called to be members of the local church. That that is clear in the New Testament. Baptism is what joins us to the universal church, and we are to become active participants in the local church. And so friends, I want to challenge you this morning. We we need this reminder to be valuing the church, the the covenant people of God more than ever. Listen, listen. COVID-19 has has shifted how we have to do certain things as a church, but COVID-19 must not change who we are as a church and what we are all about. It must not change our commitment to each other and to Christ. We must not become lazy in the things that God calls us to in his word. God is going to work through us as we in increasing ways identify with him and with his people. In fact, as a leadership team, we've been talking about how how do we begin to come out of the season of COVID-19, whenever that may be, and we've begun to plan a a short sermon series, hopefully in the summertime, when we just talk about who we are as a church, and we we think about together how how COVID has changed so many things in this world, but it must not change the church. We remain faithful to Christ and to each other, and we practice all the things that he has called us to. And so, friends, two, two application points here. First of all, if you're not a member of a local church, join a church. (laughs) Identify with God and with his people. It doesn't have to be here at Redeemer Fellowship, but join a local church. God's calling you to this. God wants you to be a part of a covenant community, to identify with a group of people so that he can work through you all together. College students. College students, I encourage you to join a local church. I know that the college years are very transient and and you might not remain in a certain location after your college years are over, but that doesn't matter. You're called to be in a covenant community with God's people and to benefit in all the ways that we do. And so I encourage you, pursue membership either here or somewhere else. If you want to explore membership here at Redeemer Fellowship, we're going to have our next Explore rate later in April and we would love for you to join us. But then our final application point, 
for those who are already members of Redeemer Fellowship, let us be re-envisioned for the covenant community, the church. We're almost a full year into the effects of COVID-19. May we be a church that perseveres in who God is calling us to be, carrying each other's burdens, praying for one another, serving each other, delighting in Christ, loving one another, proclaiming the gospel, and serving our community. And as we do, may we be seen as a people who are known and loved by God. May they say, God is in that place. Let's pray.